Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Boston University Podcast, podcast for dog people. If it's your first time listening, I am John. I'm a former animal cruelty officer and a former animal shelter supervisor. And Jamie is not here for the intro, but she is a certified dog trainer and a certified canine behavior consultant. On this episode, we interviewed Dr. Susan Davis, doctor of physical therapy, about increasing your pet's health span. So stay tuned. So we have an awesome episode for you today. We spent some time with our friend, Dr. Susan Davis from Joy Care On Site. That is her New Jersey-based companion animal physical therapy practice. Dr. Davis is a New Jersey licensed physical therapist who holds a Bachelor of Science degree, a postgraduate certificate in physical therapy from Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, Chicago, Illinois, and a post-professional doctorate of physical therapy from Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science. So she knows a lot about this topic. We discussed a ton of things related to keeping your pet healthy and moving for as long as possible. That's what we like to call the health span of your pet. So without further ado, let's start the show. All right. So we're here with Dr. Susan Davis. That's a fairly new title for you, right? (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to use it, though. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes our podcast sound even better. Oh, excellent. Well, go for it. So we're Thank here with you. Dr. Susan Davis. She's a, a doctor of physical therapy for pets. Yes. Um, and we had a couple questions for you because we think that our listeners would really take a lot of value away from, obviously, the knowledge that you've gained over the last you know, a, a long time. We've known each other for almost five years now through the SPCA. Yes, I so, think so. So how long have you been doing this for? Oh, I've been a physical therapist for 42 years. Wow. And and being I'm only you know, I'm only 50. I mean, it's pretty good. So. <laughs> anyway, she started young. She's also a comedian in her part time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I started working with animals in 2008. So I guess I'm going on 12, 13 years just with animals. That's, That's awesome. Great. So you started with people first. I did. Yeah. I had a 30 year career with, you know, normal physical therapy, I guess you call it. <laughs> yeah. What made you make the switch over to animals? So when I was a little girl, my grandfather had a farm and we used to go there every summer. And I just loved animals from like the tiniest age when I could first remember. Mm -hmm. They would send me to the hen house for eggs and I would come back with chickens in my arms. So (laughs) anyway, um, after 30 years of working with people, I just really wanted a change. And I saw this program for canine physical therapy. I said, this is for me. So I went back to school and learned how to work with animals. That's so cool. I always wished that uh, I had a family member that owned a farm, but it never happened. Yeah, it, it's really great. It was really great, I should say. So I kind of jumped right past the first thing you wanted to ask. And that was um, like, tell us a little bit about like what PT with animals actually involves. Okay, great. Um, I'm really glad you asked that because in the veterinary field, it's considered holistic, but it isn't holistic. Really? Yep. I would have never even thought that. Yeah. When I first started going into this field and talking to veterinarians, they would say, well, we really don't do holistic. And I said, well, this isn't holistic. So that's fine. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with holistic. Please don't get me wrong. Holistic medicine is wonderful, but physical therapy is definitely part of traditional Western medicine, mm-hmm. right? Very similar to if you went for a PT for yourself, did either of you ever, hopefully not, but need physical therapy all the time, Susan, all the time. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I was in a car accident two years ago, so I'm I'm a hot mess over here. Oh no, yeah. no, you're not. You're nothing like a hot mess. <laughs> you both have it all together. In <laughs> fact, I just I have to give you both a quick little plug, and and don't don't want to embarrass you, but. When I worked with you both at the SPCA, you were terrific. And John was always so great in law enforcement with, you know, people that were potentially animal cruelty people. Um, He was so kind and gave everyone the benefit of the doubt. And I just, you know, I really respect that, John. That was. Thank you so much. It's uh, very seldom you get a compliment in this field. I'm sure you know that. So I really appreciate that. That's all right. You both deserve all the compliments. Thanks, Susan. You're welcome. Too sweet. So I'll just say very quickly, it's like if you went to PT, you would get an examination, we would do an assessment and treatment is just like with people. You'd use laser, electrical stem, massage, stretching, strengthening. Um, A lot of times I'll measure paralyzed pets for wheeled carts. And then I, I do a that. lot of telehealth visits and I write for, um, for a blog uh, for Dr. Busby's toe grips. Uh, she has a blog called the Busby bark and I'm a oh, wow. I actually just, I didn't even know you were associated with her at all. I actually just recommended them to Opie. You remember Opie? Oh yeah, of course. I recommend him to Opie's mom. Cause he was having, they moved into a new house. I was having some trouble gripping the new hardwood. And I said, oh, you should try these. Okay. I've seen them in the shelter before and they seem to work. Um, and I think she's pretty happy with them. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great referral for you to make, John. That's great. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much what I do with the animals. That's awesome. I mean, when you think about it, like from a traditional standpoint, like when I was a kid, I would have never even thought that there'd be physical therapy for animals. But I feel like we're just moving in such a, a way where we're really starting to take care of our animals the way that we take care of our kids. And I just love that what you do even exists because a lot of people probably don't even know that it's a thing that they can take their dogs or their animals to you. Um, but you, you do more than just dogs and cats, correct? That's correct. I do every species, but horses because the equine field is a separate, I guess you'd call it a niche profession. And it was a whole different educational track from what I took. So I don't work with horses. Okay. I wonder if, touching on what you just said, Jay, I wonder if previous veterinarians had said to you that it was holistic, really they're just confusing it with just being an underserved market. There are a few. There are probably about maybe 15 or 20 in our state, but we're actually international now. There's more and more people going into the profession, but it's very new. It just started in, well, it's 20 years old now, the physical therapy for animals started in the year 2000. Wow. That's crazy. Obviously we talked about how you got started when it comes to what you do on a daily basis. What, what types of injuries do you deal with most? And when it comes to that, what's, what's your most frequent animal? Most frequent animal would definitely be dogs. Okay. Um, but I've worked with um, you know, cats, I've worked with birds, believe it or not. That's nuts. Wildlife. I've worked with a camel, llamas, alpaca. Wow. So cool. Goats. (laughs) That's probably interesting. How do you do physical therapy on a goat? Do you just laugh the entire time? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I jump on a rock and then I look around. Yeah, no, they're, they're amazing. Actually, I, I think when I worked with an iguana, that was one of my most exciting, fun 
species. So tell us a little bit more about that specifically. What was the injury? Like, what were you doing with the iguana? The iguana. So the iguana, the poor little guy, well, he wasn't so little. He got his claw stuck on the wires of a cage. I bet you've seen that in shelters before, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So I guess he got hung up there all night and he got oh, no. a called an herbs palsy, like a peripheral nerve injury. Mm. So I had to do some electrical stimulation and some something called a neural stretch and some different things to help him regain the movement. It's nuts. That's a <laughs> pretty amazing. cool animal. Well, you know what? That's awesome for that pet parent to bring their iguana to you. Most I mean and I don't want to generalize, but I feel like most people, you know, when it comes, like when you don't even know that physical therapy exists for animals, like it's not even like your first thought of like, okay, let me just take the animal to the vet and then that's it. And if that vet doesn't suggest anything, then, you know, that's where the injury, I guess. That's where you're, you're at remains. the end of the road as far yeah. as treatment. So I just think that that's like kudos to that pet parent with the iguana for saying, oh, right, I'm going to take my iguana to pet therapy. That's amazing. Right. I know. <laughs> they were really cool people they just happened to know a veterinarian that knew me and that's kind of how it took place so cool so back to what I said before um obviously you said dogs are your your you know your biggest client um yes. what are the injuries that you see the most of right good thank I was just going to get back to that I didn't mean to get off the track oh no yet. that's okay we love iguanas <laughs> <laughs> uh I would say Spinal disc problems, what they call intervertebral disc disease, which you probably know about. I don't want to talk down to anyone, but uh, spinal disc problems. And then there's the good old cruciate ligament tears. I see ones that are partially torn that don't have surgery. And I see ones that have been fully torn that have surgery. And the PT is post-operative. So a ligament like that, uh, you're talking about like an ACL? Yes. It's just that they call it the cranial cruciate ligament in the animal instead of the anterior cruciate ligament in the human. It's the same thing. Uh, so it'd be like a CCL. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. I got it. See? Hey! I've had that done. That's that's a fun surgery. You've had... Oh, man, that's I bad. told you I'm a hot mess, Susan. You didn't believe me. <laughs> but you got the coolest hair. <laughs> it and balances cutest, everything out. <laughs> and the cutest baby. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. I just wanted to mention there's um, two or three other things quickly. There's a neurological disease. I see a lot of degenerative myelopathy. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It sounds familiar. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? I think I might know what that is. It's kind of like multiple sclerosis and sort of like Lou Gehrig's disease in humans. Um, it affects dogs, mostly German shepherds. Labrador retrievers, Rottweilers. It can. It just seems to affect more the larger dogs. But it's a degenerative, progressive, neurological disease. Okay, so I have a current client. I actually, she's got two dogs. So the one dog I'm dealing with, but the other one I had never met before because they got her last year. Her name's Kaya. She's um she's a purebred Rhodesian, and um, oh, Rhodesians get it too. Yeah. So I'm thinking this might be what she has because I went there the other day and um, she kind of walks, she's only a year old. She kind of walks funny. Um, like she doesn't have full uh, control of her back legs and um, she kind of wobbles a little bit. Her balance is definitely severely off. They um, have, they have her on steroids, but she's trying to wean off cause she's really not happy with the steroids. It doesn't seem to really help. And it just, 
it made her blow up. She really needs to lose weight, which obviously isn't good for the legs if she's heavy. Um, mm. So I'm thinking that's what she has. Is that is that those kind of symptoms, like the wobbly legs and stuff like that? Yeah, um, it doesn't usually affect them that young, but Rhodesian Ridgebacks definitely get this disease. So it could be, Jamie. I kind of feel like that's where John was thinking about it. Starts in the back legs and then progresses to the front legs. They said she'll probably need a wheelchair at some point. Sounds like... Poor thing. You're, you're a doctor yourself now. <laughs> Congratulations. Cool. Send me the certification. <laughs> no, I was actually thinking of nitro. Um, yeah, is it wobblers? wobblers? He's a, he was a oh, purebred. Wobbler, yeah. um, wobblers is a different. Yeah, that's different. a that's a neck disease. Great Danes and uh, Weimaraners mostly get that. What, what kind of dog? He's a Doberman. A full-size oh, Doberman, Doberman too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he started. He's he's an old boy, though. He's what? Gonna he's be, got to be 11 like, now at least. Yeah. Um, it started, I would say two years ago and, uh, he kind of similar symptoms to Kaya, what I was just talking about, but they got it diagnosed and, and they definitely know that it's wobblers. And, um, he just was having a really hard time standing up and, uh, keeping control of the back legs. Yeah. Wobblers is, is rough, but at least wobblers can be treated this degenerative myelopathy there's not much you can do and no. it's usually fatal i hate to say it that's awful but yeah wobbler is neck instability so with the um how do you say it again the myopathy oh, just call it dm it's degenerative myelopathy okay um and what do you normally do when people come to you with that so um with dm like i have a dog right now uh, in fact someone you know i can't say the name someone that uh works at the shelter um, adopted this dog and it's a lot of just daily like kind of nursing care and range of motion exercises and standing the dog and really getting them into a cart to keep their bodies moving just extending the quality of life exactly so there's no like you were saying before there's no way to improve that you're just kind of keeping them going in the current current state that they're in Right. There's actually a colleague of mine that worked for six years and just published a study. I'll have to send it to you. But there are some things we're doing now in physical therapy with laser and exercise that have shown to extend the life up to a year to a year and a half. That's a long time. It's pretty neat. Yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of a big breakthrough for our field. That's that amazing. Season. I love that. Where well, John, you. I know John loves the studies. John yeah, loves the I lo research. I love the science behind it. I've oh, John, I'm gonna we're gonna send you both this study later today. You're gonna love this. Oh, we didn't even touch on the fact that Susan wrote a book. Oh well, I was oh. gonna get there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not a rude host. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even thinking. It's actually two books, but yeah, it's two happy. books. <laughs> the uh, the purple. It's got a purple cover. That was the almost like a part two or sequel to the original, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, you're so on. So on it. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Um, all right. So we'll touch on her books later in the episode. Um, so what aren't pet parents doing early on that they can do so they don't have to come to you down the road? Like, what are we missing the mark on? What's What are like the vets not telling us that we need to be doing from an early age? Okay. Um, the main thing is I feel that you need to know the breed, even if it's a mixed breed dog, you need to know, you know, what type of mix or full breed you have and research what medical conditions can be part of that breed. Like okay. we just talked about, like, um, the wobblers, uh, a great Dane could be susceptible to wobblers or a toy dog might be susceptible to patellar luxation. 
Uh, a Rottweiler may be susceptible to hip dysplasia, this type of thing. If you know the breed and you know their you know, predisposition to different types of diseases, be on the lookout and take early action if you see anything happening. That's, that's the main thing. People just put things off and don't want to go to the vet right away. Mm-hmm. We see that all the time. You, do you? Yeah. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, even with training, like we see that all the time. People put it off because they think it's just a little bit of a phase and then it gets 10 times worse and then we have to backtrack. Yeah. Even something like hip dysplasia, believe it or not, every dog is born with normal hips. Some of them are genetically predisposed to going into hip dysplasia, but they've had studies that show that if you keep the dog like uh, in a farm environment or outdoors more and off of these slippery floors, those hip sockets are going to, are going to form a lot more nicely. Wow. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That's There's interesting. another study. <laughs> Send them on over. I, I could read them all day. Yeah. I love you could it. Do, uh, you could do little, um, small bites on them. Yeah. See, we're not, um, we have no real experience in the, in the veterinary field, but just our experience at the shelter and now taking on I mean, well over a thousand clients through Possum University, mm-hmm. we start to encounter these things and you start to get a bit of an eye to pick up on when something just isn't right. Yeah. And as we slowly experience, like now we experience wobblers in, uh, in nitro. And now if you see another Doberman and they start having the same symptoms, you know, we can kind of say, hey, you might want to get that checked out by the vet and sooner rather than later, yeah. which is what we unfortunately oh, tend to do. That is so great. We do it almost weekly at this yeah, point. Yeah, we do. We have that, another client. She's um, a year old. I need to I need to send her your information because they de- they're definitely going to have to come to you. Um, she is only a year old. She's like this. She's probably like she's probably got some sort of pity in her, but she's tiny and like lanky and she's um. She's a cutie, but um, she is very scared. And I noticed she's very timid. She's only a year old. And um, meeting her, she's very reactive outside. So she's on leash. And she started being reactive to the neighbor next door. And while she was kind of like, like not like running at the person because she knew that she was on leash. She was just like, she was progressing forward maybe a few steps. She wasn't moving her back legs. She was kind of hopping on them. And, oh. and then I noticed when I'm asking her to sit, she didn't want to sit. She looked like she was in pain. And I told the mom, I said, something's not right. I said, you know, I don't want to freak you out. I don't want, you know, she's okay. Obviously she's not like needing an emergency visit right now, but I definitely think you need to get her, you know, back of her body palpated because something's going on. Maybe it's her knees. I don't know if it's her, her back. Maybe she has a disc issue, but, and she said, she's always been like this. She doesn't like to go upstairs. She's very hesitant when she lays down. She's, she doesn't, she doesn't act like she's in pain, pain. She's not like crying or anything like that. I think she's just super used to being in pain like this. Cause she was probably like this from birth. Wow. It's amazing how you all are picking up on these things and learning about this because you know, people are afraid to go to the vet that it's going to be something terribly wrong. It may not be anything terrible at all. And it may be something that can easily be corrected or kept at bay for a while. So good for you. You know, with the amount of dogs that we, that we deal with on a daily basis, we're learning so much by each client. Everyone's coming up with something different. So I think it's just good to know exactly what's going on. And that's why we wanted to have you on the show to learn a little bit more about stuff so we can pick up on it and really help people through it and encourage them. Go to the vet. It may not be horrible, but maybe something that you can help her because this could be a huge reason why she's super reactive and scared because she's in pain. She's in a low level of pain. 
Exactly. And I think people are always also worried about money, Mm -hmm. but my feeling is if you attack something early on, you're going to save money in the long run. Yes. Yep. And heartbreak. being, Being proactive. So I guess the other quick things I would mention, because I think we hit the most important one is maintaining a reasonable body weight for the pet. Oh, this is huge. And keeping up with the grooming and, you know, keeping the nails trimmed, even uh, dogs that have uh, longer hair. Sometimes I see them slipping around and the nails are okay, but the pads are real dry and the hair is growing long between the digits, which are the, the toes. Mm-hmm. So keeping those those clipped and the pads moisturized, these are little things you can do to keep them from slipping. Any tips on what you can do to moisturize the pads? I know we've I've seen much musher secret, but I think that has like a wax in it that might make things worse on the hardwood, but I've never tried it. Um, Is that something you recommend or is there a different product? Um, I've used lots of different things. I've used just mineral oil. Okay. I uh, use Vaseline. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. No, no. I'm all about simple, Same. you know, I, I'm a Missouri country girl. So. <laughs> Us too. We like to, we like to keep things simple. I don't like buying a product if it's, if it's something I have in, under my bathroom sink. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I just want to mention spay and neuter. Now I'm yes, not a veterinarian. Please. I'm not an expert on this, but I think um, there are studies also, maybe you guys are familiar with this. If you spay and neuter, too late and or too early. Um, definitely, we know the problems of waiting too long to spay and neuter, but there's also spay and neuter too early, which can affect the hormones and the bones. So I really never recommend six months or earlier. Yeah. So I found a study, uh, it was probably published in early September, I think, and they were basically breaking down by breed. They sampled large populations of individual breeds and found that like based on the breed and how big they get so when you have these giant breeds it's more important to hold off because you want the growth plates to close um which we've always heard differing things on whether that's a rumor or not but with these giant breeds if you're not allowing them to close they run into issues as they get older and very very heavy where their own body and ligaments can't handle their own weight so they're finding it more important to spay or neuter later for these giant breeds and less for like a chihuahua oh good point but i can find that study i don't know if you've seen it but i can definitely send it to you it's definitely interesting and it's it's fairly new research yeah and growth plates in a dog like that would close about nine or ten months i think wow that's crazy it's just it's so nuts because it's like everybody has like all these vets have different opinions on it. And, and I never really see other than the fact that it's a big dog, that that's the reason why they're saying it, like how you're saying like breed specific, John, like how in that, in that study, it says each breed by the months and stuff like that. And that's important. I just feel like this should be a more general thing that the, all the vets are doing and keeping up on, because I think in terms of how everybody does stuff, it's so different. You never know. And so many people, I have so many clients that are like freaking out about it. They don't know when to do it. They feel very pressured in certain situations. It's Um, almost become like slightly politicized too. Yeah, Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like we've had clients who didn't want to do it just out of principle. They don't want to spay or neuter. And we're trying to explain, you know, as as, if you have a female dog, pyometra is very real and it happens all the time. 
I've seen yes. it in the shelter where they're removing uteruses that are larger than the dog itself. Yeah, it's bad. You have testicular cancer and all these issues. People try and say like us, like we don't have these issues and we're not spayed or neutered. Well, we're also not the same lineage over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, 15 times you start to have these issues. Mm-hmm. That's it. You hit on it exactly. The breeding. Yes. And the shorter lifespan. Yeah. You know, things, things happen at warp speed with these animals. Yeah. Did That's you see that? Point. That Did you see that other study? And I hate to make this all about spay and neuter, but I don't know how new it is. Found that life expectancy for a dog that's still intact is about a year and a half shorter than mm. a dog that's been fixed. I have seen studies like that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'll just give one more quick example, if I could. Um, on the opposite end, say a toy breed, they have very shallow grooves that the patella, you know, the kneecap rides in, it's called the trochlear groove. They have very shallow grooves to begin with, which is why their kneecaps pop out a lot. So if you spay and neuter them really young, they're going to have bad problems with patellar luxation. I think Pudge had that. And then I think she grew out of it. She did grow out of it eventually, thankfully. Yeah. In the first year, if she was running and she turned the wrong way, she'd scream. And then it just stopped. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so we were really happy about that because I think we got a quote on it. It was a lot of money to fix, and I was like, oh, crap. Oh, right. Yeah, it can be. Kind of in the same realm of how people can avoid coming to see you, do you feel that diet affects the likelihood of a pet coming to see you down the road? Well, it's definitely part of it, yeah. Um, There's something called the performance triad. Now, this is um, really from human PT, but I have applied it to animals all the time. The performance triad is how much exercise you get, your nutrition, and how much sleep. So you have to kind of hit all three of those areas to perform at your optimal level. Okay. First nutrition to me would be very important to physical health for any species. Now, in terms of type of diet, wow, that's a little beyond my area of expertise, but I really recommend that, you know, you talk to your veterinarian about whether grain-free or raw or high protein, whatever diet is right for your dog. You folks may have more knowledge about that than I do. We're doing a lot more research on the the whole raw thing because I'm I'm not loving giving the regular kibble. Yeah. And I want to learn more about it. I want to learn both sides. Um, And I think it's very important to do your research in this and not just, you know, like we've been doing for the last couple of years, um, you know, I don't want to say blindly because we do research in terms of what's in the food, but long-term effects, I think we need to, we need to really look at, uh, give it a hard look and see what we're doing, especially because we don't know with Oakley, we, we got him at a later age. He had heartworms. Um, I, I want to make sure that we're giving him the best possible life for as long as we have him and make Mm -hmm. sure we're doing everything we can to keep him healthy. Yeah, I, I, the thing about the raw diet is you, you worry about bacteria mm-hmm. right. um, and that type of thing. And when I've heard of heartworm, that suddenly put a yellow flag up in my mind. I'm not telling you not to do raw diet, but that would be something to think about. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. That's the only real issue I've seen in physical therapy. I've been called in before on cases that they've done raw diet and the dog has gotten severe infection. And I've seen them afterward because they're thin and frail and I've needed to help build them up a little bit. Interesting. Okay. That's something that we need to research then. Yeah, definitely uh, have a conversation with Dr. Mamet about it. Absolutely. So 
kind of in the same realm of food. Um, what supplements do you suggest for dogs, you know, on the daily or for specific types of injuries or anything like that? Okay. Um, that's a great question. I guess mostly people think about supplements for joint protection. Is that what you're thinking more of? Like a glucosamine? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Okay. So for joint protection and supplements, there are three ingredients that you have to look for. And not every supplement has all three. So I'm going to mention the first one would be a cartilage rebuilder. And the sec- and I'll go back to that second. The second ingredient would be a fatty acid. The third ingredient would be an antioxidant. Okay. So the cartilage rebuilders would be your chondroitin and your glucosamine, this type of thing. Your fatty acids, by the way, people don't always know what those do. They lubricate the joints. Okay. So your, your fatty acid would be like a fish oil, maybe a soy product, or have you heard of green-lipped muscle? I have not. I don't know. Maybe John. No, I haven't. No. Green-lipped muscle is really a good fatty acid. It's actually, you know, a a shellfish fatty acid. And then the third ingredient, antioxidants, those are basically natural anti-inflammatories. And this would be your milk thistle, the uh, turmeric spice, or the boswellia. I gotta love turmeric. I'm all about it. So there you go. So for instance, the dasequin, that's a great supplement that has two of those three ingredients. It has cosequin and it has, um, I think it's soy fatty acid. That's the one that Dr. Mammon suggests. So if you gave your dog dasequin, the only thing you'd need to add to that is, in my opinion, is an antioxidant. So you could do dasequin and turmeric. Gotcha. Okay. And Boswellia, and you'd be hitting all three of those ingredients. Fabulous. Are there any, um, any other products that have all three that you can suggest? I've never seen a product that has all three, but there might be out there. Okay. So I can't tell you that for sure. I don't right. know. But um, I wanted to mention before we finish is about deer velvet. Are you familiar with this kind of new emerging supplement? I am, but I, I'm familiar from a human standpoint. I believe that it had something to do with insulin growth factor. Mm-hmm. It does. Now, what is that? Because you're talking stuff I've never heard before. <laughs> yeah, a deer velvet is kind of like a, an amino acid protein, uh, works a lot with bone growth. Um, this is a, a product that's taken literally off the antlers of deer. Um, I don't know exactly how it's extracted or taken, but I don't think it's any kind of a cruelty situation. It's really good for seniors. Okay. It just helps with building up you know, their stamina. And I believe there's one product that has deer velvet and green-lipped muscle. Actually, I feel funny saying it because it's Dr. Busby's product and I've mentioned her twice now. <laughs> I, I, write, I write for her blog. So maybe this, I shouldn't mention it, no, but I don't can, think- Listen, as long as, you, uh, as long as you disclose that you write for her blog, I don't think there's anything yeah, dishonest going you, on. You, d- you like the product and you wouldn't suggest it if you didn't think that it didn't work. Yeah, well, you know what I like about it is it's, uh, it's made in Israel. It's also um, got the green lip muscle. You know, some of the supplements are made in countries that may not be quite as careful. So, um, yeah, the, her Encore Mobility is is a good product. But Deer Velvet in general, whether it's hers or someone else's. Okay. Something that's, I think, showing some good promise. 
Now, I never, uh, we didn't talk about this prior, but it just popped into my head as we're talking about, you know, arthritis and bringing down inflammation and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on CBD oil for dogs that are in pain? Oh, darn. Did you have to ask me that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The jury's still out on that. Yeah, dogs that are in intractable pain that other things haven't worked, I'm all for it. I I just don't know what the long-term effects on the brain are. Mm -hmm. You know, if a dog is really in pain and suffering, I guess you shouldn't worry about that. I I would go for it. I kind of feel the same about that. You got to weigh the options in terms of uh, what's going on. What's the, what's the situation? Good point. Yeah. Anecdotally, we've seen uh, it work very well psychologically for dogs uh, that have like separation anxiety, any kind of severe, like fear anxiety. We've seen it work in place of these other anti-anxiety meds, right? Which Obviously, That's we know great. the risks of the anti-anxiety meds over long term on the brain. It's not good. So it's something that we don't resort to, but it's always like, hey, maybe before you try the anti-anxiety meds, we've seen success with this. Yeah. But like you said, unfortunately, there's limited research and it's not regulated. So the products that are out there, mm-hmm. half the time, it's as good as cooking oil. Yeah. We haven't done a, a full episode on this yet. And we really want to because I have a lot to say in terms of CBD for behavioral issues. But when it comes to, like I said before... You have to weigh the options of what's going on. And if I have a client that I know would benefit from anti-anxiety meds, but I don't want that next step, I don't like, cause that, again, that's chemicals going into the body. And when it comes to CBD, at least it's a little bit more of a natural path. And mm-hmm. if it can help, let's give it a shot. So um, for any of the listeners out there wondering what my stance is on CBD, I am pro depending on the situation and what what's really going on. But um, I have heard that it does help with it. I've actually taken it myself for pain. Obviously, again, like I said, the car accident, hot mess yeah, over here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. It's okay. <laughs> um, I've used the, um, and I, I'm not even aware if you can use these on animals because it's, um, it's, what is it, the salve? That goes on the skin. Yeah. I've used that myself for like direct back pain. And I have seen, I don't know if it's a placebo effect, but I have seen um, relief from it during the time that it's on my body. So I have to say I'm a little bit pro in that area. That's good. No, you, you folks are a wonderful resource with this. So I'm happy to hear this. Good. I'm glad. Um, Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners about what you do, what they can avoid, um, anything that, you know, you want to get out to the world in terms of PT and, and helping our dogs out. I'm yeah, I think there's one more thing I'd like to advocate for, and that is taking your dog on a leash walk. A lot of people just say, well, we've got a big yard, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a, a nice big yard. I just let the dog exercise out there. There's no substitute for a leash walk and a controlled leash walk. And I have no business talking about it with you folks being in your area of training, but from a physical therapy standpoint, it's important to do a controlled leash walk where the dog isn't just bunny hopping, but going reciprocally left, right, left, right. Just especially if they have any type of an injury and if they've had surgery and you're trying to get them to put weight on that leg, you should stand on the side the surgery was. Like if it was the left cruciate ligament in the back leg, you want to stand on that dog's left side. Interesting. Because they'll naturally kind of lean into you and okay. put more weight on that side. That's very interesting. That's a very, very good a good uh, advice for people because I didn't even think of that. Now, when you say controlled leash walk, does that mean that you 
uh, don't like retractable leashes? I'm not crazy about retractable leashes. Good. <laughs> Me either. Neither are we. <laughs> Is that the right answer? They're so dangerous. <laughs> you're you're quizzing her over here. Yeah, I am. I yeah. know I can do that with Susan. <laughs> but, but you know, I I love those prong collar. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> you just triggered me. Gonna be edit- no. Um, I'm not crazy about retractable leashes. And I, I don't want people to have their dog out six feet in front of them either. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not Cesar Milan or whatever that wants, you know, to be, never mind. We won't go there. But- <laughs> I've already roasted him on this podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the, the dog shouldn't be way out in front of you. Um, just not even from a behavioral point of view, from just a physical point of view and preventing mm-hmm. pulling on the neck and the joints. The dog should be comfortably at your side or slightly ahead and just at a nice, comfortable, steady pace. 100%. Yay. I passed the test. I love it. (laughs) Absolutely did. So can you tell us a little bit about the first book? I don't think I've ever seen the first book in person. I've never read it. So could you tell us a little about the first book that you put out? Oh, thank you. Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation for Animals, A Guide for the Consumer. What a long title. It's really a, um, a reference book for what to expect if your dog needs physical therapy and helps you have a leg up and not have anyone take advantage of you. Is that no pun intended? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> have a leg up, yes. And then uh, you had just... Not recently. What was this? It's been out for ago. almost, no, over a year, oh, right? Actually, really? Yeah, it came out in 27. The first book came out in 2013. Yes, and then the All Hands on Pet came out 2017. Because I had people, you know, that, I mean, the first book still sells really well. But I have people always saying, I love this book. But can you tell us more what we can do at home? So the second book came out of the first book and is a companion to it and is all about hands-on things that you can do even building a ramp you know doing a massage range of motion this type of thing with the year we've had having a at-home how-to guide on physical therapy is super important because being on lockdown for so long and there's a there's probably a lot of dogs and or pets in general that had not gotten the proper care because they just couldn't. So having that, those resources in your home to be able to do that yourself is huge. It's so funny you mentioned that, John. The sales of the second book have spiked during the pandemic. You know, I was never looking to like, you know, get rich off a writing book. Literally, I wanted to help pet owners, but you're so right. People have needed this type of thing mm-hmm. when they're stuck at home. And I love that you said that you didn't do it to make the money. It's really to just help people and be that resource for people. I think we feel the same about training. I would love to write a book eventually. I'm a horrible writer. I'm, I actually have dyslexia, so it's I'm going to need a ghostwriter of some sort. Um, but the fact that you want to put that out there and be there for people because they need a resource that they can rely on, not only... Um, in the area that they're looking for, but in a way that they can understand and read comfortably where it's in layman's terms, where, you know, you're, you're feeling more like you can really understand what's going on when you're reading this book. Like, okay, I can do this. You put it in the hands of these owners and they can do the job from what you're, from what you're writing. And I think that's so important. Well, thank you. And I think you would be a good writer because what they told me when the people that were my 
publishers, they said, you just have to find your voice and you don't want to talk down to people. But you, you know, you don't want to dummy it down, but you don't want to be over their head either. You just have to have that passion and find your voice. And I have dyslexia also, Jamie. So I think <gasps> do you, you really? You, yes, I do. Oh my God. I had no idea. I think you would be perfectly fine. Thank you. Writing. I'll have to, I'll have to pick your brain more about that. Okay. <laughs> if you're the type of person who really wants to take something like this, like your dog or your pet is injured and you want to take it into your own hands and really be knowledgeable about, about the guidance, the medical guidance that you're getting, I, I highly recommend is Amazon the place to go for both yes, of these books. Yes. Um, yes. All you have all hands on pet, your how to guide on home physical therapy methods for pets. And then what was the name of the first book again? The first book is physical therapy and rehabilitation for animals, a guide for the consumer. Both books are, are also available on Kindle. They're eBooks as well as regular. Oh, that's great. Hard copy books. And those are both written by Dr. Susan E. Davis, PT. Well, at the time of writing, you did not have your, uh, doctor designation. So I believe they're both just Susan E. Davis PT, uh, <laughs> right. but you can find them right on Amazon and, uh, that's where we get everything from. So, so I have one more question and this has nothing to do with the book and it just dawned into my head. So the only harness I like to, to use is the easy walk and that is a front clip harness. Um, I find that it's the best to not engage that nerve behind the dog and in, in the shoulder blade area, um, which makes them want to pull forward. Not, um, not engaging the freedom reflex. Yes. I've had some people yell at me on Facebook um, that it injures the dog's gait of their shoulders. Have you seen any of this in terms of no, dogs? No, I have not. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a lot better. It's usually been said in defense of prong collars and uh, shot collars, things like that. Yeah, so people are trying to tell me that prong collars and shot collars are better and that I'm suggesting that people are injuring their dogs while using a front clip harness. But if you use it properly while double clipping to the collar, you don't get in the way of the shoulder blades. So I just wanted to run that past you and see if you've seen this at all. I have not, and I, <laughs> I'm i not trying to butter you up or anything, but you're you're fine. You're right. Thank you. Uh, are, are, <laughs> Are any of these are any of these people not that you have to be in the medical field, but are any of them in the medical field? That, no, they're just people on Facebook being rude. Well, shame on them. Thank you. <laughs> and I get you have to see me like I'm on the couch and I'm typing on Facebook and John sees my face. He's like, did someone yell at you again about the easy walk? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I don't understand where this is coming from. It's only been in the last few months. And all of a sudden, all the shoulders are getting injured. And I'm like, I've literally used this on every single dog that I have trained. And Oakley's been on it for years. The only study that I found that there was even. There was no studies. It, yeah, it was it just anecdotal situations, yes. which. It was probably an anecdotal article. It wasn't. Right. A it was about right. dogs that were athletic, that going on runs. They're running for long periods of time on a front clip harness that's in front of their, like by their shoulder blades and they're getting injury that way. And I'm like, the dogs that I am training are not athletes. Let me tell you, like yeah. these are just yeah. family dogs. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You wouldn't want to do that with, you know, a, probably a working dog or an athletic dog. Absolutely. But for for your average, you know, controlled walking, leash walking, you're you're right, Jamie. Like my clients just want to go for a walk. That's all they want to do without getting their arms pulled out. And 
this is the most successful way I found that it works. I mean, literally last week we went to Homedell Park near us and we trained like six of our dogs um, with Oakley and we have one pity. His name is Achilles. He's a year and a half. He's got a lot of energy. He is so friendly. He just wants to meet everybody, but he he's he's off-putting sometimes because you're like, holy crap. Um, but, and he's, yes, and he's he was on a back clip harness. So I said, listen, I want you to get on the harness that Oakley's on. And she was like, okay, I'll get it tomorrow. She literally sent me a video of him yesterday on his easy walk, walking with a loose leash. And she was oh. like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my entire and life. This is a dog that left me sore the next day after yeah. after walking him around the circle at uh, Home Del Park. Yeah, wow. he is very strong. So. Wow. No, I, Jamie, I think you're spot on, but I really just harnesses in general are the way to go. When I see just people clipping a leash onto a regular neck collar, I'm like, please. Yes. I almost want to pull over my car half the time I see it. I'm like, you need something better than that. I know. (laughs) You don't, I don't want to be that person though. All right. I think that we've taken enough of your time. Um, where can our listeners find you if they wanted to, uh, get a little more information about, um, Joy site on care and the rest of what you're doing. Sure. Well, they could go right to the website, uh, which is www.joycareonsite.com. I think I just said joy site on care. You pulled a I me. I did pull you. you I don't know how that happened. Some dyslexia stuff uh, going on there. Yes, joycareonsite.com. That's all right. I do. I I mix up my B's and my P's and all that, so it's all right. Yeah, that's the best place to uh to find information and to reach me and by the way i make house calls i don't have an office so uh i'm going to see out to see people they don't they don't come to me Mm -hmm. same here girl and you're doing virtuals as well right oh yes lots of them because we have a lot of listeners really all over the country and there's a couple that are out of the country so um i guess would they be able to set something up with you if, if they're looking for a consultation with you or? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people I talk to are from different countries, you know, because of the, the two books, I, you know, people find me from all kinds of places like Germany and so cool. Australia and all that. Right. So let the record show we met with you donating your time to help shelter animals. So Aww. that's how I, I knew right away. I, Someone like that is someone that I want to work with and make referrals to because uh, you did a lot for the shelter animals and you continue to do a lot. So, Oh, thank you. And boy, you two are wonderful. I, I have enjoyed every minute of this. I hope I haven't talked too much. Nope, not at all. You were perfect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Def, I really hope we can have a conversation like this again. Um, maybe we could dig a little deeper into some topics um, and definitely send me those studies you were talking about. I have them listed right here, the two studies I'm going to send you. And She's again, ready. you two are doing a great job. And thank you so much for, you know, for wanting to have me here today. I would like our listeners, if there's anything specific that you guys want Susan to go into more detail on, we can have her on again. We can pick like a more specific topic rather than like the broad PT realm. And um, if that's something everybody's interested in, let us know. Let us hear what you guys are, are really... Um, are dealing with at home and and how we can help. Sounds great. Sounds great. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe, share it with a friend, especially if you have a friend who has a dog 
who's experiencing some issues, hips, back, spine, anything related to physical therapy, and maybe they'll take something away from this. They can make a new connection with Dr. Davis. And please, if you can, on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars. Like one of our listeners, their name is a fellow listener. And they rated us five stars on Apple Podcasts. They said, this couple is amazing. Not only do you get top-notch advice, but they throw in lots of fun anecdotes. Also, they have a helpful website where you can get to see what products are actually healthy and effective for your pup. Thank you for the pod with a big smiley face. So thank you so much, a fellow listener. I think that's a pretty great review. What do you think? I like that a lot. That's that's really nice of them to say. Yes. Thank you so much. And if you want us to read your review on the podcast, give you a shout out, just please just go ahead and leave it. Five stars. And if you can, a little note, let us know what you think. And uh, we're going to make sure that we read every single one on the podcast as a thank you. All right. So that's all we have. You can follow us on Instagram at Boston University, or you can head over to our Facebook, Boston University. We also have that Facebook group, the Dog and Puppy Support Group. I'm going to link that in the show notes. And then the links to Dr. Davis's books will also be in the show notes, as well as the studies that we talked about during this interview. So that's all we have for this week. All right, Jay, you want to sign off until next week? Class dismissed. <laughs>